long, uh, maybe three weeks ago, sacrifice. And because of our sin, there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be somebody take our place. And uh, then we also dealt with propitiation, which is because of our sin and our guilt uh, and what we had done, God demanded perfection and He certainly didn't see it in mankind, did He? And there was only one that could meet that demand. The wrath of God had to be done and judgment on sin and it was put on the person of Christ. So, He pleased the Father, didn't He? And what's that called? Propitiation. So we have sacrifice with propitiation, and then we looked at the next week reconciliation, which is oh that was the uh, that was uh, we had uh, we had uh, some of the kids come on that one, and they actually were following that really well. I think they they like that Karen's kids, and uh, you know that was reconciliation that we were dealing with, kind of a big word that it means to bring us into relationship with Him because of that uh, sin the way it was. And He took us out of that separation that we had and brings man uh, to Him. And then last week we looked at redemption. And that means to buy out of slavery. To, to buy us out of bondage. To set us free from the bondage of sin and death and Satan and to actually buy us into His kingdom. Not only that, He, he adopts us too. But that's another word we could have used, but um, all of Christ's work uh, was accomplished at the cross. And of course, this little series was called What Was Accomplished at the Cross? What, what really was accomplished? And those four things uh, are... And then now we get into the work of conquest. And because of where we had started, as far as mankind is concerned, uh, look in Romans 8, verse 19. The entire creation actually has groaned under sin's <coughs> curse. And that's what happened at, at, at sin. And of course, that's where death, sin, all the things that are against God came into place, Adam and Eve. That's sin. And then we look in Romans 8.19, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. For what mankind did, it was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. We all do that. We all groan. And of course the things that we have to go through and the, and the suffering of life and, and all uh, that the life brings, uh, good and, and bad, but we certainly groan on, on the suffering, bad part of life, don't we? All the pain. And uh, yet it, it's, it says here, this is what we eagerly wait for. And um, of course we know what was the result of it. it you know, the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. First John 
5.19. Some of these verses are going to be familiar if you were here Sunday because we, we talked about how man is underneath that curse and sin is very powerful. And when Christ came, uh, He started defeating the works of the devil. And so we look at um, Ephesians 2.2. 2. There it says, because of sin, mankind, and all of mankind is in a terrible situation. 2.2 2 says, I can't turn these pages, they're too new. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So there it's talking about the prince of the power of the air. And who's that? There's our, our enemy again. And of course he uses uh, his work of sin in mankind. And then we know back in Genesis 3.15, after there was sin, what was it that God told Adam and Eve that this coming one would do? He would crush and destroy the very work. He'd crush the head of the serpent, wouldn't he? And he'd destroy his work. That's in Genesis 3.15. Well, there we go to 1 John 3.8. And this is what we were talking about Sunday also. It's kind of funny. It just kind of works out with this conquest. We go back and see, here's what Jesus had in mind when He came here. Here's what God had in His purpose. No one who is born of God practices sin because His seed abides in Him. And He cannot sin because He's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not a God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Um, um, what are we saying here? Okay, if we back up into verse 8, he's talking about, okay, here's, the, here's a Christian. He doesn't practice sin. Why isn't it? Why, why doesn't he practice sin? Well, the one who practices sin is of the devil. Of course, that means the ones who are of the Lord, they're of Him. They don't practice sin. They still sin, but it's not their nature anymore. It says In 3.8 it says, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And here's the verse we want right here. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to what? Destroy the works of the devil. And he started doing that uh, in his ministry, right? And uh, after he had showed who he was, uh, after the, the witnesses of, of course, John the Baptist baptizing him, and then, of course, the Father and saying in thee I'm well pleased, and, of course, the Spirit there. And uh, all along, he's been shown, it's been shown that he's the Messiah, and then he starts his ministry, and there he is. He's destroying the works of the devil. It comes into culmination, though, at the cross. And even though sin still happens, that power of sin, we talked about last week, has been broken. And so the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Here's where we get into conquest. You know, it, it sometimes doesn't look like there is victory here in this world. And, but we as Christians know better. We know resurrection of Christ proved that. But even during His ministry, 
Jesus demonstrated His power over Satan. Satan was working big time. The demons were possessing people. So you go back into the Gospels and you look and see what He was doing in His life, in His ministry. Matthew 12.28. You know, these are really familiar verses, but it shows the kind of power that He has. And He started it there. And He lived a perfect life. But it all was leading to the cross. 12.28 says, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Was He doing it? So what had come upon Him? The kingdom of God. You know, He went from city to city and He did miracles. He did all this power. Of course, He preached the Word is really what it was all about. But He was casting out demons. And of course... They said, well, yeah, he's doing it. They couldn't deny it, but they said, it's coming from Satan. <laughs> and so, you know, but he says, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, if this is coming from him, then I want to tell you the kingdom has come. It's on you right now. Uh, you look in Mark 1, verse 34, just a few instances here. This, this is Christ. If this be true, if this um, casting out of spirits which was very prevalent at that time. It's not a common thing. We don't see it. I've never seen any of that. I know it does happen. It's, it's kind of rare, I think, in our times, but it, it could be mounting more and more as time goes on. I'm going to mark 134. Um, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who He was. Of course, what would they say? This is the Holy One of God, and He doesn't need their witness, right? Um, so, there is uh, one, uh, if you drop down to verse 39, it says, He went into their synagogues throughout all of Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. The demonic possession must have been incredible. You know what? I, I mean, how many cases are there? It's, it's you know, literally one of hundreds the interesting and hundreds. Things is, is that he, they were in the synagogue. Yeah. In the, the synagogue. Yeah. yeah. People are coming in there. And, yeah, and, with the demons. Yeah. Hoping maybe you know, they can hear something that's uh, encouraging or something. They're they're totally being controlled by by demons. So this this is part of Jesus' ministry, and and we know that he defeated them there, you know, it was one after another. It must have been by the time his ministry is over, he must have cast out most of the demons that anybody had. Uh, makes you wonder. But, uh, go to Luke 11. You have to really like this passage here. And of course, we even related to this the other day too. This is stuff already had, already planned out actually before I got into the message on Sunday. So it sounds like I'm doing a repeat. <laughs> And Luke eleven twenty one says, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. And of course, he's, he's already said, if I cast out these demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Just like what he had said before in the other passage. And then he starts talking about the strong man. Who's the strong man? 
the strong man Satan. Strong man has guards. He has these demons all around. It's like his house, and this his house really is this this earth. You know, it's like he is the ruler of this world, as it says in the scripture. And so he's having it guarded, and Christ comes in, comes on the scene, and just starts rooting it up. And he says, "The kingdom is upon you. Satan's kingdom." is here in one sense, but he says the kingdom of God is is right here. And so he does his work. He's stronger than the strong man. That's pretty victorious when he's able to defeat the demons who are scared to death of him. Right? They're scared of him. They, They live in fear because they knew that he had the power to put them into the abyss. So we look in John 12, 31. And you see, Satan has the power over all the wickedness and the evil, and, and ultimately, what is it? It, it, it? It's death. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to destroy people. Jesus comes in to destroy the works of the devil and to eventually get rid of all sin, and ultimately, the last is death. So he says in John 12:31, "And if I am lifted up, no, no, no. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The ruler of this world will be cast out. Um, that means he will not have. It's it, just like his power is going to be broken. Of course the." Kingdom ultimately, Christ will totally take over. He is the king, and his kingdom is here. But at the same time, the kingdom of Satan is also here. And um, in John sixteen eleven, this is a great guarantee. We we could certainly say, has Satan been judged yet? Well, not ultimately. We haven't seen that, have we? But in verse eleven, it says in concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Jesus is here at this time. He's speaking of this. He's already judged. As far as he was concerned, Satan's time is already done. Even though 2,000 years later, it's still his kingdom. But where was he beaten at? The cross. That's where where all the, the works went. That's where all of our hope is at. So we look in Colossians 2:15, and we see that this get fleshed out. Everybody knows, you know, how the gospel is. You know, the the Easter story, resurrection, and everything. And then you look at how Paul terms it. Gospel show the life and and the death and the resurrection of Christ. Then we see it in its full theology. Colossians 2:15. Now we're really getting into victory here. And we see where it happened. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. If we back up there, we see that he's talking about nailing the certificate of debt of decrees against us. It was all nailed to the cross. And... What he did is he disarmed the rulers and authorities, especially whenever he ascended up into the heavens and he defeated Satan and all the demons. Those are the rulers. Those are the authorities. He made a public spectacle of them. 
You know, he blew them away. He just triumphed over them. And so there we, we have a, a, a display that's through the Word of God that gives us all the hope that we can have, that we need. He triumphed over them in Him. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He disarmed them. It's, just, it's almost like taking the claws off of them. And, and as far as God's people are concerned, His own, Satan cannot possess Christians, cannot possess believers, cannot come in and control them. Uh, he can influence them, and, and, but never to take possession. And uh, of course, this is our, our powerful Christ, isn't it? Go to Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death, Christ's death, he might render powerless him who had the power of what? Death. That is, the devil. So who had the power over death? Satan did. And he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. If you walk down High Street or anywhere in town and you would interview about a hundred people asking them what is their greatest fear, what do you think they're the one that would be most common? Dying. Fear of death, dying. I think people have always had that. There's, a, there's that mystery in it that uh, they haven't been there. And, uh, of course, I, I, there you see it there. That people are freed. Freed from the fear of death. They were subject to slavery all their lives. And we see here in our Hebrews passage in, in 14 and 15, that's what uh, Christ did. So He... Uh, even though Satan had the power of death, the fear of death now is gone. And any Christian sitting here knows full well we, we hate to have to go through um, that ourselves because we, we that's what we wonder. You know, I you know I, I don't fear exactly the death part being dead but at the same time you know you, you wonder how it's going to happen is it going to be painful is it going to be instantly you know we, we don't know that you know nobody knows how that's really going to be um, so we, we, we might be anxious about that in a sense but in another sense it's like oh how quickly will I be with the Lord immediately now that's one we're going to be doing in a while. it's immediate isn't it Right into the very presence, and that's what Christ did. And so, uh, death, even though it's the great unknown, yet we can read these passages and see it's been defeated. Satan really has been declawed. He can't claw us. He can only yell and bark out orders to us, and we don't have to follow those orders. Well, but he his can do that. Threat is, you know, what if I take your life? That's all. You know, that's yeah. what he does to all mankind. Because he tries to make you fear death. Well, and what's Christ, the worst can happen out of that? So when Christ came, <laughs> so when exactly. Christ came, he diffused. And he, so for those who are in Christ, there is no fear of that. 
but to say how you get there, you know, what the Yeah. Yeah, we don't look forward to, to that and, and neither do you know, we you know, we're all grieving in different ways because of our sister there that we, you know, have lost in our presence. We don't grieve for her, we grieve for our loss. It's really not for her. I it's mean, not for it's, for it's for us. It's for yeah. those that are now without her. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so we're, we're right there along with you, Tony, in, in, in that grieving process uh, but I know that you're you're much closer than anybody ever else was you know in that sense but we uh, we're, we're there we're there with you you're not alone and uh, you know I, I think about this boy this is this is encouraging stuff you, you know you, you've heard it all your life but then when you see it and it's right there before your eyes it's written there and it, it just uh, encourages acts 224 it's the uh, Peter pe- preaching the first message. Of, of the church after Christ had uh, ascended. And uh, in Acts 2.24, he says, But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And then <clears throat> we go on and we see that this was prophesied in the Old Testament. Even David spoke about it. And he was raised up, and then we see what it means for us. And but we first see Jesus is Lord, and He is Christ, the Lord who was crucified. And the people said, "What must we do? What can we do?" You know, and He says, "Repent, believe, be baptized in the name of Christ, and your sins will be forgiven. You'll have the gift of the Holy Spirit to reside in you." What a promise. But there he, he focused on the death, the burial, resurrection, and showed that Christ defeated it. And He's the first fruits. If He's the first fruits, there are more to follow. Many more. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Just all sorts of verses. You know, you, you could just go on and on all night just reading these verses. We're just getting a few of them. And you look at it and you go... Yeah, sometimes you say, well, where is that at? I've heard that before, but I, I don't... And these help us remember. Uh, Paul says this, he's speaking about the resurrection, the resurrection body and everything, you know. It's, we are good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Home with the Lord. You know, I think of home... And you know we've always heard of a you know homecoming, you know homecoming celebration, and you know we have a home, but we've never been to that home. But it's a permanent home. Now the houses that we live in are called home, but it's not be- just because of the houses, but it's because of that's where we live, that's where we dwell. You know we have family that that lives there, and it's our life. That's right. We get our comfort there. We get a, you know, you know, we have relief, rest, relaxation, uh, work. A lot of work at home, though. <laughs> familiarity. Familiar. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you, Bob. There's something about familiarity that makes you feel at home. When something is really strange and it doesn't feel right, it's not like home, is it? So it, there's something about good that. Well, familiarity. 
when you go into the Word of God and you start reading about what our home is like that we will see one day, you're already familiar with that. Even though you haven't seen it. You haven't been there. But yet you you will find relaxation. You'll find rest there. You'll find familiarity. You'll find comfort. I mean, there is nothing upsetting there. And it'll be totally different. You can't even imagine what it is. Even the highest thoughts that you could even just, just throw out there of all the things it is, and it's going to be even much better than that. Right? And that's the absolute, finally perfect peace because there's nothing tugging at us anymore. I mean, there, there he is. So, um, when you have peace with God, then, like we say, there's nothing, everything is good and right. Yep. The believer in Christ has nothing to fear in death. You know, and and uh, I hope it's okay. I keep relating back. I can't help it whenever I was talking to Cindy back, uh, I, I guess, like a couple of months ago and you know and you guys you know were all were dealing with all the different you know taking her back to the hospital and and, and dealing with that at the same time you know she was you know she's telling me and I knew exactly what she was saying he says she just said I'm not afraid of death at all uh, and you know I was like wow okay I, I know that she says but you know but she still has a concern for her family and she loves her family, and it's like, you know, like, of course, even Paul said that, you know, I'm, I'm torn, you know, I, I want to go to be with the Lord, but at the same time, you know, I have people here to deal with, and, and you know, I, I, you know, and so you, you don't want to leave people behind, but at the same time, and, and, and so that's the way that, that Christians feel there, and so we're at, um, you know, I guess we're actually not absent from the body right now. We're still the body. And so we're, you know, even though we have a home here, it's not really home. <laughs> There's so many songs have been written about about that, Penny. How many of you sung before? That's one of the songs that, that I'm going to ask the um, hero home to play, Home by Chris Tomlin. Ah. I don't know which one that one is. That's where she's at. Home. Absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord, even though you know, yeah, that's kind of interesting. That's what that's what he says there. So, see what the conquest of Christ did at the cross, and along with that resurrection, and it not only was his victory over Satan, he said, "Ah, gotcha," and then leave us all here, just okay. <laughs> what what about us? Yeah, that was all for us. He didn't come down here to put on a show. It was this had to happen for that we would have hope. The ones who believe in him. That's so key. Look, look in Revelation one seventeen. Now this is this is the conqueror, folks. This is this is our great conqueror and victory. Revelation one. He he never has ever lost a battle. Never will. Won every time. Continues to win. Uh, this is the vision of Christ. When I saw him, John said there, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, Don't be afraid, I'm the first and the last. <laughs> I'm the very I'm I've always been here and I will always be here. And the living one, I'm the living one, and I was dead, 
So Jesus did die, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades, of hell. The keys to it. He opens... Totally controls it. So he is the ruler over death. When he has the keys, that's what he's saying. He's the ruler over it. Someday, no more death, right? He controls over who is released in that realm. Uh, one writer said, look at John 11, 25 and 26. I'm thankful for these great promises. It certainly gives hope. We could just make all this up and it just it's not not really true, but it just just makes us feel better. We right? have a lot of religions have done that, yeah. Maybe wouldn't be smart enough to make it work out right. No, but a lot of religions have made up their own stuff. <laughs> John eleven, twenty five, twenty six. Uh, here you have Lazarus. Now this is this is a remarkable story. There's Lazarus who has died and Jesus waits around until he is definitely dead. Nobody could say, oh, well, maybe he didn't really die, Lazarus, you know. No, he made sure that he was dead and so he stays up. He wasn't in any hurry. They said, come on, aren't you going to do anything? You need to go. Cool. It's all right. It's okay. It's okay. Hey, why don't you put some fish on <laughs> Put it in the pan. Let's, let's get some fried fish. Let's eat. Let's wait for another day or two. So he goes there. And, of course, you have the sisters, the, the sisters Mary and Martha, right? And, and of course, uh, here you have, I think it's Martha that comes up to him, right? And, uh, and she said, I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. We know that we we believe that, but you know what about right now? Look what you could have done. You could have you could have raised him from the dead, or you know, or kept him from dying, or whatever. And, um, Jesus said to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this?" Well, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even He who comes into the world. But he's saying, Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came, when Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. We know what Jesus has in mind all along, right? When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. He's human. Said, where have you laid it? You know, he feels like we feel when somebody dies. And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Wow. 
That's the humanness of Christ. You know, he did even though he knows what he's going to do, but it's because of the bondage that people still are in. They still have to go through this process of, of this. And so he felt what they felt. And this is God, but he's human. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him? He did, didn't he? But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? And the rest of the story is what? Lazarus comes out of the grave. Um, called him. Jesus did. But that was a picture of what He does with us spiritually. But it also shows that He was really, He is life. Jesus is life. If He wants to resurrect someone from the dead, does He do that today? No, not really. But He did this. This was a special occasion. And he lived for a little while longer, but he, he still had to die. But you know what? So many people saw this and they still denied Christ. They knew that Lazarus had died. Jesus comes there after the fact of the matter, calls him out after, you know, it's you know, he's buried, you know, in that sense, and comes out with all the wrappings and everything and says, Unbind him and let him go, and there he is living. And I'm sure that in, in some way that Lazarus has to be going, oh, why back here? Are you kidding me? <laughs> but Jesus at least was standing there. The reality of life. <laughs> but you know what? In, in doing that, it shows that Jesus it was a picture of Him coming back to life too, wasn't it? And of course, uh, Lazarus, we know, is uh, you know, he came forth again, but the, he stayed in heaven the next time. Uh, we have to go to 1 Corinthians 15. This is why the Christians are so joyous. This is a definitely a resurrection type verse because uh, chapter 15 is all about the resurrection and it means that we too will get new bodies. These bodies cannot go into heaven. If we don't get new bodies, then we have to stay here forever. We don't want these bodies. <laughs> I do not want to take this with me. So we get verse 54, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, never to perish, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? And there's the key word, isn't it? O death, where is your victory? Because tonight, what are we speaking about? The conqueror, right? Victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? It's, a, it's like the sting of a bee or a sting of a hornet uh, leaving the, uh, the stinger in you. But, oh, death, where is your sting? There, there, the sting is gone. There's nothing there. So 
it's like, okay, in reality, yes, we have to live this life, and yes, we have to die to get out of these bodies. As soon as that happens, I mean, instantly we're, we're with Him. We never die. We don't die as Christians. We do, we do not die. The body does. So, oh, death, where is your sting? It, it, did, it means nothing. Boom, you know, we're, we're out of here. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. The law shows you your sin and demonstrates it that you are, you're, you know, your sin deserves hell. But thanks be to God who gives us the what? The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. The victory. Look at Revelation 19.11. This is victory. This is the conqueror. This is our Savior. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following Him on white horses. From His mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it He may strike down the nations, and He'll rule them with a rod of iron, and He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. You remember... He was pleased with what he's got, with with what his son had done on the cross, uh, propitiated. Right, God was, but his wrath is still out there for the ones who do not believe. And he says, the fierce wrath of God when Christ comes back. Who's coming back with him? The angels and the armies of heaven and linen. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Big capital letters there, right? So, he's going to judge. Uh, Johnny, one of my last conversations, he was, reading, he was reading this. He goes, can you imagine? Can you imagine? I bet you this one's underlined in his Bible. Yeah, really, I, mean, I just know because he was really one. He says, I just reading that. He goes, oh, he talked about that all I the time. Yeah. wrap his mind of what that could possibly even look like or feel like to see that. Yeah, I remember he'd always talk about that kind of stuff. Look up in the, you know, in the sky, and he was amazed by God's creation. And then he's still thinking, you know, what's what's above that? And uh, I remember one time, a few times, you know, we, uh, Bob, do you remember when we'd go over there with the boys, and we'd just kind of sit around and we'd just have our own little Bible study, just just turning to different verses. And a lot of those were some of these right here we were yeah. dealing with. He just kept trying to put that in his mind what that could be like. Romans 8.37 Look at this. For in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. This is we in Him. We overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. Now, the verse before that says for your sake we are being put to death all day long. You know, Paul was almost giving up his life, but we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Of course, Christ was considered to be like a lamb to be slaughtered. 
but so was Paul and apostles, and, and in some senses, I guess you know we can see this is us too. You know, as we go through you know life, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. That means we are more than conquerors. How many have that verse? More than conquerors. More than that. I mean, it just goes over and above that. We're winners. You know, I think that's a good one to just quit on right there. I mean, how can you beat that? Well, there are plenty other ones that would challenge it. We are more than conquerors. And that's what this whole thing tonight was. It was conquest. And you see that if it's not for that hope, then we live this life and that's it. Or do we? Man, I can't wait. At the same time, I got you know. I, I want to you know. I don't want to be morbid about it, but that's going to be the the best life. Then, anything you guys want to add there? It's good to do this. It's good to go through this because it's easy to forget that we are victors, that we are conquerors, that we are... It's easy to forget. So life really beats us up. And Cindy goes, you can't even imagine. (laughs) You can't even imagine. Father, we thank You for this great great, great good news and it's, it, it is hope that is founded. It's been proven by the person of Christ. He did these miracles on earth while He lived, but He did something that He claimed that He would do and He rose from the dead after He died for our sins. And Lord, You tell us to believe You, to trust You. To trust means we don't see it, but yet we believe it. Thank you for giving us this news, and Lord, we uh, at this time we, we think of Tony and the grief that uh, we know that he is gone through and is going through and will for uh, quite some time. But we we know that at the same time you can give great comfort, and we know that uh, not only Tony but the rest of the the family and uh, out of the household, and then on on out there and. Uh, and Tony's family, and then also I think of Penny and Frida and uh, all of their uh, children, all the ones it touches, because we know that Cindy touched uh, many lives in a lot of different ways. And so we we thank you for her life. And uh, as we looked at these verses tonight, Lord, it wasn't by accident that you had this schedule for us, because we need these kind of verses to encourage us and to um, just uh, be comforted. And uh, we praise You, Lord. We look to Your Word and Your truth every day. Uh, Help us to live like Christ so because of what is to come, we can say that anything that we go through in this life is worth it because glory is awaiting in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you guys for coming out. Appreciate it. Glad you came, Tony. This is, it, it helped us. Yeah. It really does. It really helps us to see you. And uh, yeah, if there's uh, any songs or anything that... Uh,
you want to tell me or write down or send well, to yeah, me, let me know, I and I'll know. put those together. I don't know how, yeah, how long we do it. I had, uh, 